You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Now, you know, I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal preacher's home, and, uh, and I can tell you that there was practically nothing that wasn't a sin. Okay, I mean, we had sins for everything. I mean, there was like legal, I mean, I'm, you know, baseball was a sin, football was a sin, everything. I mean, it was a little, it was off, it was, the pendulum had swung way far to the right. We'll just put it like that, okay? But yet at the same time, you know, as you look around in our culture, you know, and the things that are going on in our nation, you see that the pendulum also can swing to the left to the place to where we lose sight of really what God's requiring of us as a people, as a church, as a nation. Amen. I mean, you need to only look at the news or, or, or read a little bit about what's happening in our, in our country to figure out that obviously we have swung too far to the left. You know, maybe you not personally, but the nation as a whole. And Israel was doing that very same thing. And, and nations around them were, were bringing in false gods and, and the pressure was there for them to, to kind of uh, be like them. You know, because God called Israel to be a peculiar people. I mean, you know, they were never supposed to really fit in. Are you hearing me today? They were never really supposed to fit in. And as a matter of fact, you know, the two major civilizations at the time that Israel was, was being formed, there was Assyria to the north and there was Egypt to the, to the south. And in the middle, and you, you've seen maps of that little slither of land, you know, in the middle there in that, in that little area that we call Israel is where God put his people. And every time there was, there was trans, uh, transportation going back and forth from these two major civilizations, you know, where all the commerce was happening and everything was going down, it would be like New York and L.A. Every time they went through there, here was these people of Israel who were unlike anybody else. I mean, they, they only served one God. They didn't involve themselves in pagan uh, idol worship. They didn't, uh, you know, they were not sexually immoral. They dressed modestly. They, you know, they had certain rituals and things that they did to, to set themselves apart uh, from the other people around them. And, you know, and yet at the same time, people knew about these guys. They were like, these are the guys that was down in Egypt and God delivered them in a mighty, mighty way. I mean, their deliverance from Egypt was well known. They didn't need CNN. They didn't need Fox News. Amen. Everybody around them had already heard, even though it had been hundreds of years perhaps, how that this people was a people who lived in a desert with no kind of provisions for 40 years, and God made a way for them. And God brought them across the Jordan River into this promised land. And as they got into the promised land, even though the cities were walled and they had better weaponry and artillery and what have you and more soldiers, God went before them. And He made a way for them to be conquerors in this land. And one by one, they slowly began to drive out these foreigners out of the land that God gave them. That's their story, man. Still their story. Hasn't changed one bit in all these thousands of years. That's why they're still there today. Amen. It's because they believe God gave them that land. And He did. But if you look in the Old Testament, there's something called the Palestinian Covenant and where God spoke to Abraham and He said, I'm going to give you all of this and this and this. And, and guess what? They have yet to ever completely inhabit all of the land that God said He would give them. And the reason why... It's because they stopped short. They quit. They got comfortable. Amen. I want to read you the story of Gideon real quick. I'm not going to hold you too long today, I don't think. You know, nothing like preaching on a day with a dinner. You know, you can look at that two ways, really. I mean, you can look at it two ways. I mean, you know, you got everybody going, shut up, man. The chicken's frying. Let's go eat. You know what I'm saying? You got that. You know, you got that. 
And the other side of the coin is, is the preacher's like, it doesn't matter because y'all ain't going out to eat nowhere. You're going right, to eat right here, you know, so we got all day. All right, so are you ready? I'm going to try to find the happy medium in between those two. Okay, so I told my guy, okay, here we go. All right, so I'm, I'm working off this telephone today. So you guys pray for me because I'm not the most techie person. But I wanted to read this out of the NLT, and I don't have a uh, NL. I didn't have an NLT Bible. So you're ready. This is out of Judges chapter six. Listen to this. Gather round, children. Let's have a story, shall we? All right. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were the bad guys. They had all them ites, the Gibbonites, the Malachites. If you were an ite, you were a bad guy. The Midianites were so cruel, oh, well, not all of them. The Israelites, they were the good guys, made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat. They took all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He doesn't give his name. I thought that was interesting. But he was a prophet of God. And he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all those who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in the land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord, who is the angel of the Lord? That is what we call in theology a Christophany. A Christophany is when the Lord himself in the Old Testament, Christ took on a human form. And he appeared to people at times. He appeared to Abraham once when he told Abraham that Sarah was going to have a child. He appeared to Jacob when he wrestled with him in Peniel. And so it, at, at times, Christ himself literally took on the form of an angel, came down and, men, and, and met these, these various men, okay? The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the son of the clan of Abizir. That's, that's Gideon's daddy. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide grain from the Midianites. So things had gotten so bad that, I mean, they weren't there just to take their crops. Literally, they were there to do complete genocide. They were looking to try to destroy the nation of Israel. But in the process, they were taking everything they had. So like, you know, every time they tried to grow peas or, 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 or beans or whatever it was, the Midianites would just wait until harvest time and then they'd just come down and take all their food. And, you know, they, well, we got a, a, a double thing going on here. We're going to get all their food and eventually they're going to die. We'll be rid of them. And so that's kind of what they had going on. And so Gideon is this guy who's trying to just get enough food out for his family, and he's down in this wine press threshing this wheat so that nobody can see him. And suddenly the, the Lord appears to him, and he, and he says unto him, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I love the way the King James puts it. He says, Thou art a mighty man of valor. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter who you think you are. It's who God says you are. I'm going to say that one again. It doesn't matter who you think you are. It's who God says you are. Gideon, as you look in here, he says, Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have. Go with the strength you have. Oh, I could preach that one right now. And rescue Israel from the Midianites I am sending you. Sometimes we need to look at what we got that God wants to use. I got a buddy of mine over in Bon Terre. He, he was a great home missionary. He's a counselor now. And, and you know, one of, his, one of his 
sayings that he always said. He said, God cannot anoint nothing. He's got to have something. Amen. God cannot anoint nothing. And so, but, but if you've got something to work with, huh? Come on, y'all. Y'all preach with me a little bit today. I know there's got to be some Pentecostals in here somewhere. Come on. God cannot anoint nothing. Listen to me. You know what? God uh, spoke to uh, Moses, and he says, what, what have you got in your hand? He said, I got a rod. That'll work. Huh? He took David, had five little stones. He said, what do you got? I just got this slingshot and stone. That'll work. Come on now. What's God, what do you got that God wants to use for his glory? I ain't even got to my message. We got to hurry. All right. Oh, lost the thing now. Okay. Timed out. Okay, the Lord, <laughs> the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan's the weakest one in the whole tribe, and I'm the least one in my entire family. And the Lord said, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Oh, yeah. I, I felt that, didn't you? Somebody should have said, Mama, Mama. Okay. Gideon. <laughs> Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign and prove it to me. And, and so I'm going to skip a lot of this right here just because I can, I can run it down real quick. So Gideon went and he goes and gets some food, right? And he brings it back. He said, wait here, I want to bring a sacrifice because you obviously are, are something supernatural going on. And so they bring, he brings some food and, and, uh, and he thinks this angel of the Lord or God is going to eat this food. Instead, the angel just touches the, the rock that the food's on and fire consumes it. Well, that should have told him, right? And then he disappears. Can you imagine what that would have been like? And Gideon said, oh, my God, I'm going to die because I just seen God. And, 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 and then a voice comes and says, don't worry about it. You're not going to die because I just told you what you had to do, dummy. You know, you still got work to do. And so <laughs> you're not dying yet. And so anyway, so we move on to chapter 7, right? And, and in the meantime, uh, Gideon starts getting some faith. He gets, starts getting some encouragement, and, and so uh, he remembers what God said, go and do what you can, and Gideon's father had some idols set up in his backyard because back then they had the, the Baal worship, and they, and they worshiped the Asherah pole, which was like a fertility thing, and so Gideon says, well, hey, you know what? I'll just start where, where I'm at. You know, start here, right here in my own backyard. And so he, he waits until, until midnight because he doesn't want to get uh, the town people all stirred up. And he goes out and he destroys that idol of Baal and he destroys the Asherah pole and he does a sacrifice unto God. The next morning, everybody wakes up and says, what happened to the Baal statue? What happened to the Asherah pole? And, and the next thing you know, they are trying to get Gideon to come out so they can hurt him and and his dad says hey man if Baal's a god let Baal answer for himself I mean why you know why why do you have to take up for a god you know if it's if he's so great let God be God and so not only did Gideon's courage and his boldness inspire the guys that went with him but it began to inspire his daddy as well the next thing you know Gideon sends out a call and he says you know what I believe God's doing something in our midst and I believe that God is wanting us to defeat the Midianites. Is there anybody that wants to come and fight? 33,000 guys show up, man. Huh? Come on now. That's pretty good. 33,000. You look in chapter 7, you find out that God says, that's too many. You know why? Because when God wants to do something, he wants to get the glory. And so Gideon says, hey, you know... Um, I mean, he tells Gideon, he says, go tell the people. He said, if they're, if they're scared, go home. 22,000 of them goes home. That would be a little disconcerting. <laughs> if I was Gideon, I'd have been like, whoa, 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 whoa. Not all of you, come on now. And so he's left with like 10,000 guys. And, got, and so he's like, well, you know, 10,000 is still pretty decent. I mean, you know, even though there's a million of these guys probably. And he said, but, you know, and Gideon says, or God tells Gideon, he says, too many, too many still. He said, i got to weed some more out. So take them down to the brook and let them drink. And whoever uh, kneels down like a dog and laps the water with his tongue has to go home. And, and the ones that take the water in their hand, 
and they're looking around and they're drinking, they're, they're more alert, they can stay. And to Gideon's uh, frustration probably, only 300 guys drank it out of their hand. So he's left with 300 guys against a whole army that they just said was like a drove of locusts. Okay, so that's the story, right? And so God takes Gideon and 300 men, and he takes a bunch of ram's horns that they used to call to battle, and some pitchers with lights and with candles inside of them, and they surround the, the, the Median army. But before they surround the Median army, Gideon is still very anxious and concerned about what's fixing to take place. And God tells Gideon, he says, go down by the camp of the enemy and just listen and see what they say. And so he takes one of his servants and he goes down by the camp and he sneaks up there and he hears these, they're getting ready to change guards and he hears these two guards talking. And one of them says, man, I had this dream last night. He says, oh yeah, what'd you dream? He said, I dreamed this big barley, loaf of barley bread came tumbling down the mountain and started knocking over our tents. Well, barley was the poor man's bread. That was, the pov- that was the bread that if you were impoverished, you, that's probably what you were eating. And so, uh, and so the other guy says, man, that's got to be Gideon. That dream you had has to be Gideon. God is going to give Gideon, he's going to give him a victory over us. Gideon goes back, he's pumped, dude. I mean, he's pumped, right? And, and he's like, guys, we got this. Come on, let's do it. So they circle the, the, the army. Uh, they circle the 300 men around the army. They blow their horns. They break their trumpets. Can you imagine in the dead of night, all of a sudden all these horns are blowing and there's lights all around them. They don't know there's 300 men. They think there's thousands of them. And all of a sudden they start fighting one another and the victory is won. Give God a hand for that. I can't believe I actually made it through that story. Okay, now let's preach a little bit, all right? Okay, that was the introduction. Okay, so here's the first point, y'all. And this is where I want to bring it down to here. All right, the first point in this little message that I'm trying to bring to you says this, comfort often brings compromise. On the back of your bulletin is a blank space. I don't normally encourage visuals that much. I don't usually have them. But I want to encourage you today, if you would, jot down these seven points that I'm going to share with you. Because there is a definite progression that takes place all the way down and back up. And I think it's something that we all go through at some time. Comfort brings compromise. How comfortable are you in your walk with Christ right now? If you're real comfortable, that's a problem. I'll tell you why. Were you comfortable when you first got saved? When you first came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, was you comfortable with your surroundings? Was you comfortable with what was going on in your life? Was you comfortable with where you were in the Lord? I don't know about you, but I wasn't. Man, I could see all sorts of stuff that God needed to do in my life to to cause me to grow in Christ. I could see things going on around me at my workplace that concerned me that didn't have any concern whatsoever before I came to know Jesus. I was concerned about my language and my actions and what I listened to and what I watched and what I read and, and, and what I, whatever. There were so many things that I began to realize, man, this is not God. That's not God. That's not God. Are you all hearing me today? But you know what happens oftentimes, most often, is that over a period of time we become comfortable. We learn how to do this thing. We learn how to do this thing called Christianity to the place to where, you know, all that heavy lifting and that hard spiritual work, well, that needs to be done by the new believer because we got it down, dude. Come on now. I mean, I've been a Christian for 20, 30 years, you know. I mean, there's certainly not any way I could possibly grow in Christ. Are you hearing me? That's wrong. God is constantly working in our lives. Amen. He's constantly trying to do something in our hearts and our minds. There is no place. I, I got a newsflash for you. It doesn't matter how long you live for Jesus. My daddy lived for him for 67 years. But guess what? He had a lot of stuff in his personal belongings after he died. But there was not one plaque from God saying, Completed. You won. You did it, buddy. You, you got the award. No. And he would have been the first one to tell you, I'm still, God's still working on me. 
God's still working in my life. Amen. And, and so comfort often brings compromise. How does compromise happen? Well, we start becoming comfortable with the way that people are around us, the way the world system is. I mean, you know, me and my wife was talking on the way down to Florida a couple of weeks or a week or so ago, and we was talking about how, you know, sometimes things creep in and it changes the whole fabric of everything. And, 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 and you know, we can see that with these, you know. I mean, social media. I'm not, I'm not going to preach against social media, but here's what I'll say about that, you know, because I'm on it too. But you know what? Social media has changed relationships. You know, people nowadays, I was talking to somebody and they were, I was like, said something about, you know, when I was a kid, we used to go to the mall and hang out because that's where all the kids hung out and that's where you tried to find a girlfriend and this and that. And they said, well, they don't do that no more. I said, they don't go to the mall and hang out like that no more? No. Well, why not? Well, they got social media. They meet each other on Facebook. You know, they don't have to go someplace. They don't have to go to an arcade or a bowling alley. You know, they get on here. That's where they meet each other. And then they begin talking to each other. And sometimes they have a deep relationship before they even come face to face and actually meet each other in person. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not relationship to me. I mean, because that's like sending a resume. Genghis Khan could send a resume to Brother Tony over here, and he might make him his clipboard guy. Come on. All he's got to do is put on there what he wants to hear. Hello. You know, and, and social media is a lot like that, but there's a, little, there's a lot different than actually hanging out with somebody, getting to know them, finding out what's on their heart. Are you, are you hearing me today? And, and so comfort brings compromise. We compromise. Look at our government. My Lord, I don't want to stay there very long. But you know what's most concerning to me as, as, as a 62-year-old guy? You know what's most concerning to me is that the level of civility and respect that was once in our government is never going to be there again. It doesn't matter who you're for, okay? It is never, ever going to be there again unless they have some kind of a crazy revolution or something, I don't know. I don't know what would cause it because it's already gotten so bad that it's, there's no turnaround point, you know? Everybody hates everybody. Everybody's saying bad things about everybody. And, and how do you turn that around once you let the cat out of the bag? Compromise has come in, and it is, uh, and you know what comes after compromise? Corruption. Corruption. Usually, compromise is associated with corruption. If you uh, take a car and you park it out in the middle of a field, it can be a great-looking car when you park there. Leave it there and see what it looks like. Eventually, it's going to look rusty. Don't live in your house for 20 years and walk into it and see what it looks like. The sheetrock will be falling off the walls. Amen. Compromise brings corruption. When we are not actively involved in actually doing something to make sure that we are shored up where we need to be with God. Now, I'm not talking about working our way into salvation. Don't get me wrong. Okay, you only, there's only one way to get saved, and once you get saved, you're as saved as you're ever going to be. Okay, I'll say that up front. Okay, but that's not all there is. Amen. Because God still has a walk with Christ that we have to do. This journey with the Lord that we're on, amen, takes us from point A to point B. And we grow in Christ and we begin to learn more about Him. And if we're not careful, if we get comfortable and we compromise, what you generally happens is, is what we have with God begins to corrode. Amen. Our love for one another. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Amen. It's easy to love us. Come on. It's easy to feel comfortable or worship God in the confines of this room. But when we walk out these doors, is our Christianity something that is just as blatant out there as it is in here? That's the question because God has called us to be a witness. Amen. And so, yeah. Where am I at? Compromise precedes corruption. Satan has a plan, y'all. Did you know that? Satan has a plan. You know what his plan is? It's real simple. It's in John 10 and 10. He tell, God tells us what Satan's plan is. His plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. His plan is not just to make you unhappy. 
His plan is not just to make you uh, lackadaisical in your walk with God. Although if that's all he can do, he will settle for that. If all he can do is make you ineffective in the kingdom of God, he'll settle for that. But that's not his ultimate plan. His ultimate plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take your marriage. He wants to take your kids. He wants to take your finances. He wants to take your witness, your testimony. He wants everything you got. Satan does not like us. Amen. He's not playing a, 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 you know, a little petty game. He is out to utterly destroy everything that we got in our life that's good, that God has given us, because he hates God. And we're a part of God's kingdom. And so that makes us a target in his eyes. Are y'all hearing me today? And so that's why we got to be uh, diligent in who we are. Listen, when, when Christ comes into your heart, when you ask Jesus to come into your heart, the Holy Ghost of God, Holy Spirit, third person in the Trinity, God himself comes inside of us, right? I mean, are y'all with me still? Chicken's still frying. Hang with me. He comes inside of us. You know what? He is there to lead God and direct us. But let me tell you something. We, became, we become a vessel for him. to. We're a mobile vessel for him to dwell within us and to, and to you know, be a part of where we go and what we do, etc. I got news for you today. God did not create us to be a cruise ship. Holy Ghost ain't on a cruise. He created us to be a battleship. Amen. We have been called to be soldiers in the army of God. Amen. We were never supposed to be comfortable. We were never supposed to fit in. We were never supposed to be, uh, you know, covert in, in any way. God has called us to shine. He told his disciples, man, be like a light on a hill. Be like salt and bring savor to, to uh, seasoning to the people around us. You know, be a witness. Amen. Are y'all hearing me today? Amen. Corruption always results in correction. Don't you love God? Y'all love God? Is God your father? Is he a good father? Then he's going to correct you. Okay? <laughs> because any good father would, right? I mean, even though, it, you know, as grandparents, I hate, I hate it when my little grandparents, kids have to get a whooping, you know, a spanking. And it doesn't happen very often. But, you know, when it does happen, oh, it's just, oh, I heard he's Sammy got a spanking. Oh, my God. Just breaks my heart, you know. But guess what? That's what it takes. It takes correction. God wants to correct us. Sometimes, you know what God does with us? Sometimes the Lord will take us and he'll do this. He will uh, allow us to... to space and time in order for us to make a, a, an adjustment in the way that we're going. Sometimes God will just step back and he'll just say, okay, you're making some bad choices. Let's see if you can figure it out. Let's see if you can turn it around because I've been giving you knowledge because Pastor Matt's been telling you and Brother Gary and Brother Tony's been telling you, hey man, what you, what's right and what's wrong? Let's see if it's going to sink in and do the, do the work that it needs to do. Is the Word going to bring forth the fruit in your life that needs to be there? And sometimes that doesn't happen. You know, because we are disillusioned or we're compromised or whatever. And, and then step two comes in and, and God says, okay, well then I'm going to allow you to experience some of the consequences of your bad behavior. Because, and isn't that the way it is with our kids? I mean, you know, there's times we hope that they make the right choice. And then if they don't make the right choice, sometimes we have to sit back and go, okay, you know, I told you not to do that, but you know, I mean, you're going to see that that's not going to work out good for you. I guess you're going to have to find out on your own. And God does that sometimes. And then there's times when the, when the Father chastises us. And He comes in and, and you ever got a spanking from God? Oh, yeah. Well, He can put the pow-pow. He can put the pow-pow on the popo. let me tell you. Yes, He can. Amen. He can figure out ways to humble us. He can figure out ways to discipline us and to help us to realize which direction we need to go. And you know what? He would not be a good father if he didn't. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that if he didn't chastise us, it'd be like we were fatherless. I mean, we wouldn't have a dad. 
You know, we, He is establishing boundaries and structure for our lives so that we can learn from those things and move forward. So when, when the children of Israel fell into compromise and their, their worship became corrupted, amen, God came in and began to use the Midianites and the Amalekites and these different people around them to bring correction. And guess what? It worked. They began to cry out to God. And aren't you glad today? That when we cry out to God, God hears us. Amen. Man, let me, let me say this. And, you know, because we're on the upward climb now. I've been bringing you down to the pit. We're fixing to climb back up to the mountaintop real quick. And, and let me say this. The way you make that first step up the mountain is you make things right with the Lord. Because God is so good. Man, I don't know about you, but in 32 years of my, or 33 years of living for Jesus, there have been times when I feel like that I had a blackboard and I had stuff written all over it that, that I messed up. And you know what? I could go to Jesus and I could go to the cross and kneel down and say, Lord, you know what? I really fouled up, God. I've been making some bad choices. I've allowed myself to fall into some things that shouldn't be there. And you know what the Lord does? He just takes that big old eraser. And he just wipes that slate clean. And when you, you know that one prayer, hey man, you get up and you realize God has put it all under the blood. That, you know, the Bible says that if we, are, or if we uh, confess our sins, that he is just and faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the kind of God we serve, y'all. Give him praise, will you? Yes, amen. I'm never going to do this again. All right. <laughs> Confession brings God intervention. Hey, don't you, prodigal son, you know? You know what I love about God is God is constantly searching for us. You know, Jesus told the story about the 99 and the foe and, and the one that got lost. And we always think of the sinner, right? But you know what? <laughs> it wasn't really a sinner. I mean, if you think about it, they were all in the fold, they were all in the fold. There was a hundred of them originally. One of them slipped out and wandered off on his own and, and you know, and, and got in a bad place. And Jesus went, the good shepherd went after that one, huh? And he found him and he brings him back. It's like the prodigal son after he went out and spent all of his father's money on riotous living and, and he was eating the stuff that the hogs were eating. And he finally figured out, man, I need to go back to the father. You know what? My, my father's servants are getting way better than I'm getting. I mean, at the bottom of the rung, I'm doing better at my dad's house than I would be here. And, and, and you know what's great is when he comes up that road, the Bible says that the father saw him a long ways off. In my mind, I can just picture that dad sitting out there after a long days of work on his front porch, maybe after supper every night, when the sun's starting to go down, and he just peers down that road, wondering when his son's going to reemerge, knowing that if the moment he sees him, he knows what he's going to do. And the Bible says that he sees his son afar off, and he ran to him. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him on the neck and he reinstated him into his family, not as a servant, but as his son. Amen. Hallelujah. When we confess, we bring God's intervention in our life. There ain't nothing wrong with confession, guys. Amen. There's nothing wrong with asking God to reinstate us and get us back where we need to be. Because if we think that we're not prone to wandering off the path, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us to our own way. Why? Because it's the flesh, man. We're battling the flesh. Why is it so easy to get comfortable? Don't you like comfortable seating? Don't you like air conditioning? Don't you like sitting in an Escalade better than you do a Geo Metro? Hello? I owned one, so I can say that. <laughs> yeah. Why? You know, it's because it pleases the flesh, man. It feels good. And so, yeah, we definitely appeal to that. Courage comes from conviction. Courage comes from conviction. Well, what is conviction? It's when you're convinced of something. That's what the word means. You are convinced. When God convicts us, 
He's actually convincing us of something. Amen. And so when we become convinced of something, how many veterans in here that was in uh, either Vietnam or the Korean War or whatever? Anybody? Nobody? Wow. Okay. I don't, you know, I've watched those, I, you know, watched those war movies like, I, uh, what was that one? Black Hawk Down. It's kind of R-rated. But anyway, it was, it was a great movie, though, and, and but so intense. But, but, you know, I mean, I look at those situations that those, you know, D-Day, when they're coming off that boat, you know, out in there, and there's just, and people are dying all, you said, how, and, you know, I thought to myself, how in the world, man? I mean, I don't think I could do that, you know? But yes, you could do that if you were convinced that it's the right thing to do. If you were convinced that you are the person that may stand in the way of evil and, and, and dictatorship, yes, you would do that. If your country depended on you, you would do it. But you know what? It's hard to conceive in your mind when you haven't been in that situation, right? Amen. God wants to convince us of some, of some things. He wants us to be convinced in our heart. Amen. Gideon got convinced in his heart. You know, he was down there threshing wheat in a wine press one moment. The next moment, he was convinced that God had raised him up to be a leader and a deliverer and one who could lead a an army and, and defeat a great nation. Hey, you know what? The only thing that was different between the, the wheat pressing and the leading was the communication that God had with him. As he began to get convinced that God was on his side. huh? God's on y'all's side, y'all. God is on our side. As he was convinced that God was on our side, amen, he was willing to step out on faith and let God do what it was that he was wanting to do. Confidence always accompanies divine communication. Confidence always accompanies divine communication. I was thinking uh, about this message the other day, and I thought about how, you know, when God spoke to people in the Old Testament, how that they were able to do things that they wouldn't have done on their own. You know? I mean, like, you know, I mean, they just wouldn't have. You know? But when, but when the Lord speaks to you, you know, there, there's different ways that the Lord speaks to you. I mean, you know, the Bible is the Word of God. Y'all know that, right? The Bible is the written Word of God. But, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we're up here and we're given a message, and that's a general word. You know, we're taking for what God has given us out of the Word of God, and we're spreading it out. We're like broadcasting it out like seed, and it's kind of a general word. I mean, you know, it can apply to everybody, right? But then there's those personal words that they don't always come real often. Amen. But they can come because the Holy Spirit will bring that word to your heart. It's that Rama, that Rama word. Amen. Maybe I'm, you might be the only person in this room today, and as I'm ministering this message, everybody's hearing the general word, but for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now, and He's saying, hey, dude, He's talking to you. God is trying to get your attention. You've been too comfortable. You've compromised too much. It's time, today's your day to make a confession to God and, and God's going to reinstate you and lift you up and make you a conqueror. Man, that could be your word today. I don't know. Only, the, only God knows that, right? Amen. But it can happen. How many of you has ever received a word like that from the Lord where God is, yes, amen. Hallelujah. God is not silent. He still speaks. Amen. And the, whole, the Bible said, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit comes inside of us to lead God and teach us in all truth. Amen. He's there for that very reason, to encourage us and to give us direction and help us. Amen. I was listening to a, a, a Brooklyn Tab uh, app this week. Priscilla Shire, is that how you say her name? Pr Priscilla Shire, she was preaching at Jim Cimbala's church this last week. And she was talking about when uh, her and her husband and her kids went to South Africa, and they took a trip to South Africa, and they were able to go on this little safari. Like they, they weren't going to kill the animals; they just wanted to look at them. And and so like they they went on this little journey, you know, like a two or four hour journey. And so they got up early before the sun came up, and they got and they had a guide, you know. And the guide took them out there, and they were seeing various animals that were peculiar to that region and whatever. And they ran across this herd of zebra, you know. And so like they're sitting there looking, and the, and the guide's like 
you know, letting them look at this herd of zebra. And Priscilla said, I was sitting there and I was thinking, man, I hope we don't stay here too long because I've seen a zebra. You know, I know what a zebra looks like. And he, but he was staring at this herd and he said, you see that little foal right there? It was like a little colt. He said, you see that little foal? And they said, yeah. He said, he hasn't been a part of the herd for a couple of weeks. He's just now back. And she said, really? Because you're thinking, well, why, where would he have gone, you know? And he said, a lot of people don't know this. He said, but because they just look the same. He said, but a zebra's stripes are configured in such a way that every zebra's stripes is peculiar to that one animal. It's like your fingerprint. It's like your thumbprint. And he said, and, and, and most of it, you can tell the difference right on their forehead. And he said, what happens is, is when a zebra has a baby, the, the, the mother and the zebra baby will go off into the bush and they will spend like two weeks by themselves. And the zebra baby becomes acquainted with that particular zebra to the point to where when she reintroduces him back into the herd, that baby is never confused as to who is the person that cares most for them. You see where I'm going with this one, right? The more time we spend with God, the more acquainted we are with the attributes of God. The more acquainted we are with the fact that He is the one who cares most for us. He is faithful. He is our deliverer. He is our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our shield. He's our buckler. He's our fortress. Are y'all with me today? Somebody ought to put their hands together for Pete's sake. Come on now. Let's give the Lord praise. Amen. When we have divine... <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> when we have divine communication, amen, we have confidence. Why? Because God is, is speaking to us. You know, I can tell you something, that's one thing, but when God tells you something, it's something totally different, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I mean, most of the time when God speaks to me something specific uh, in my heart or in my, in my mind, if I, if, you told, if I told you what he said, you'd think, well, yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't, it's not like something real earth-shattering. He's not going to tell me something that nobody in the planet's ever heard before. Amen. But when it comes from God, oh my gosh, it's a totally different story. I mean, it's like I, you recognize the fact that God is speaking this to you and that this is His Word for you today. And, and man, if He cares enough to look down and see poor old Gary Duke needs help, and, he, and He's willing to instill within my mind and my heart a, spe a specific direction, that brings confidence into my life. God is on my side. Amen. God is fighting my battle. God is understanding what's going on in, around me. He's got my back. Are y'all hearing me today? Last one. I'm almost there. Conquests are inevitable if we are obedient. Conquests are inevitable if we are obedient. You know why? Because God ain't no loser. God is not a loser. He ain't never lost nothing. He has never lost a battle. He is never going to lose a battle. Amen? Even at the, at the height of the worst thing that could possibly appear to happen in the history of God as we know it, which is His Son dying on the cross of Calvary with the sins of the world placed upon it, on His shoulders, amen, and breathing His last breath as a human being, He was a winner. He was a champion. Amen. He defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. Amen. He brought all of us into a relationship with Him. The veil of the temple was rent, amen, from the top to the bottom so that we could have communication and interaction with this God without a mediator. He became our mediator. He became the lamb that was sacrificed once and for all, even at the height of what would appear to be the worst thing that could take place. It was a great triumph. It was his crowning victory. Amen. Yes, hallelujah. God's people are ordained to be victorious. God didn't save us to be losers. The Bible says that we are not made to be the tail, we're made to be the head. 
God didn't, didn't call us out to be, you know, uh, we have to shirk away in, from the darkness. And when we go, we leave this house and we go to our homes and our neighborhoods and our jobs and such, that we have to kind of like play like we're a substandard human being because we're not the ones that's going out and partying with everybody or we're not telling dirty jokes at the break room or, or we're not doing this and that and the other. No, guys, listen, we have been made something more than a conqueror. We have been made more than a conqueror. We are victorious in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a future, a destiny that only Christians can have. Amen. And it should be our goal to help those people figure out that what they're missing, what they're searching for is what we've already got. Amen. Because that void that's in their life that they're filling with pornography and alcohol and drugs and sex and everything else that you can think of, Amen. That void can only be filled with God. That's it. But once they meet Jesus, they become a conqueror. They become victorious. They have a destiny that can never be taken away from them. We have a, we have a reward in heaven, the Bible says, that has been laid up for us from the very foundation of the earth. Think about that for a moment. Before God ever said, let there be light, before he formed this world out of, which was void and full of darkness, before he ever made man, before he ever spoke a word, into a thing into existence, before the foundation of the earth, amen, God already laid up the, the reward that he knew that we were going to get. If that don't stir your bowl, your spoon has fell out. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay. Guys, I want you to do me a favor. Would you dim those lights to about communion level? And sister, could you come up and play something on this piano here? It doesn't matter what you play as long as it's not ACDC or something. <laughs> Just come ahead. I know this is a little unusual. We don't normally do this. That's all right. Would you bow your heads with me today? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. We just want to praise you today, Lord, for your blessings and your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father God. Lord Jesus, for the price you paid on Calvary. Thank you, Lord, that you sacrificed your life so that we could be a part of this awesome kingdom of God. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for healing us, God. Lord, thank you for providing for us, Lord. Thank you. God, we could not give you enough thanks. You deserve all the glory. You deserve all the glory. God, I pray for each heart right now, God, that the Holy Spirit would just move amongst us this morning and that he would just challenge us. God, that he would just challenge our hearts, God, to just draw near to thee just to draw nearer to thee, Lord. Amen. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you should ask the Lord to come into your heart today. And I'd be happy to pray with you about that. And even if I don't pray with you about that, you can still do it. You don't have to have anybody there to pray with you and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and accept him into your heart as Lord of lords and King of kings in your life. And it would be the greatest decision that you could possibly make. But I'll be honest with you today, this message really wasn't for the sinner. It was for us. It was for the church. Because we're all human beings. And because we're all human, we have the same tendency to fall prey to some of the things that kind of just get our priorities a little messed up or we don't get quite as close to God as we should be and we kind of let things start to slip and, 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 and you know, the next thing you know, we just, we're just kind of in this lackadaisical, cold state. Doesn't mean you're lost and going to hell. It just means that we're not really where we should be with God because God wants us to be on fire for Him. He wants us to be committed totally. Amen? And so I want to ask you today, I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning. If there's anybody in this house today, and you say, man, you know, Gary, I'd I, I just like to just, God, just to re-fire me up. I'd like to some new passion in my life. I, I You know, I, I've kind of got, you know, comfortable in my walk with Jesus and today I'd just like to make a fresh commitment that God is just going to refire me and just do something new I, I want you to stand up where you are right now and come down and stand with me we're just going to tell you what we're going to do we're going to just join hands and have a prayer that's all we're going to do thank you 
Come ahead. We're, and it doesn't matter how many come. We, we'll make room for everybody. Amen. We're just going to pray as a family of God that today is going to be a day that we're going to make a, just a fresh commitment to Christ. And some of the things that maybe has been drawing us away from where we need to be, we just need to make it right. Come on, let's make a circle here. Can we do it? Amen. Anybody else, just come ahead. Come on around here, sis. Amen. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Praise God. Hallelujah. Would you just join hands? You know what the Bible says? If we agree together, amen. If we, well, There's so much more strength in our prayer when we agree together. Amen. And, and, you know, I know that most of the time we pray, just one person prays. But today, you know what? God is not confused. He can hear every one of us. And so whether you pray loud or quietly, it, it doesn't matter. God's still going to, you can just pray it in your heart. He's still going to hear it. But, you know, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, you know. And so today we're just going to pray. And, and uh, you just pray in, in the way that you'd have. Uh, but, I, you know, I just, I'm going to pray for you that God is just going to encourage and strengthen. And I'm going to pray for myself as well because I am a man just like you guys. Amen. So let's do that today. Father, God, Lord, we thank you for every life that's here this morning standing in this circle. God, you see the faith in their heart. You see the boldness that they, they took in coming forward and, and, and asking for you to just do something fresh and new in their life. God, Lord, we just pray for a fresh anointing upon them. We pray, God, that you just begin to uh, show them things in the Word of God that they, have, that they have either forgot or not seen yet. God, I pray, Lord God, that you would just let the Spirit of the Lord, God, just encourage them. Let the joy of the Lord be their strength. God, Lord, if there's situations going on in their homes or their families or their marriages, Lord, we just come against the enemy that would seek to steal and kill and destroy. We pray, God, that you would just not let a wedge be, be drawn in between uh, any of us. God, Lord, we just pray, God, that you'd begin to bring peace and solidarity into their homes. God, if they're facing financial situations, I pray, God, that you'd open up the windows of heaven. You'd bless them, Lord, God, that you'd begin to make a way where there seemed to be none, just like you did for Gideon. In God. Lord, I know that the devil would like to steal our finances, but God, Lord, I know, God, that you're a, you're a God of sustenance. God, you're a God of resources. And God, Lord, when we trust you and seek you first, you'll, you'll meet our needs. God, Lord, we thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, God, for the, the word that you placed in our heart. Thank you for the blood that you shed on the cross. Thank you for the spirit that dwells in us, God. Lord, bless each and every one of these. Lord, let this be a day that they can look back on. And Lord, a benchmark in their life that they can say, you know what, that day something new happened in my heart. And God changed some things in my home and in my life. And this is going to be the day that God does it, not for me, but for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's King of kings and Lord of lords. God, we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise, y'all. Amen. Praise God. God bless y'all. All right. I got one more thing I got to do. I got to pray over the food. Yes.